You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking with Sashir Zamata, a former SNL cast member and an incredibly accomplished stand-up and comic actor, uh, as well as being someone who appears to be made out of pure willpower. Um, Sashir is fantastic. I highly recommend you download a copy of Pizza Mind, uh, her first stand-up special, uh, and you can check out various uh, sketches of hers uh, on on YouTube. She was Kaylee in, um, I think, was it Kaylee? Was Kaylee the character? Uh, in Black Jeopardy on SNL. Very, very funny in that so um i i think i've said the right name there is it kaylee maybe it's kaylee i don't know i'm not as we know from my embarrassing mistake during the andy daly episode i'm not as conversant with snl as many of you seem to be um but uh, this is a really interesting episode with a very uh self-assured very funny and uh, really inspiring human being so without further ado uh, recorded at montreal just for laughs comedy festival this is sashir zamata So I saw your show at the Catacombs. Does that show have a name? Or do, I mean, do, 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 does the show have a, like, like your special, your first special, Pizza Mind? That's like a finished bit. There we go. Yeah. That's the show. Where are we in the life of, of the material you, you're doing here in Montreal? Yeah, what I did at my solo show here was a mix of stuff from Pizza Mind and then some new stuff. So I, there's no name for it. It was just an hour of material okay. <laughs> um, that I did here. So, yeah, there's no... Until I figure out what the new hour is, then then I'll slap a name on it. Okay. And how was your? You, were you doing a run? Have you got one left tonight? Have you got? No, I finished it. I did one Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Okay. And yeah. How did they go? Were you happy? They were so fun. Yeah. Like uh, the Monday crowd was super hyped, and I didn't know what a Monday crowd would be like here, but it was great. Tuesday was very fun, and I felt like uh, my last night was like a great way to end it. So I'm very happy oh, with how glorious. they went. Yeah. Okay. And you're someone who, I mean, I I suppose watching you completely, like having never seen you before, um, I was really struck, I think I said to you when when I spoke to you yesterday, I was really struck by your incredible poise on stage. You're so, is that something that gets said to you a lot? You have your your kind of, your, not, not just your delivery, but your whole being on stage is so just kind of, here's the stuff. Yeah. It's incredibly easy, easy to watch. You're not demanding, you're not you are demanding stuff of us intellectually, but you're not kind of, there's no sense of neediness at all. Yeah. Yeah. I've been told that my style is more conversational. It feels like I'm just talking to friends than, you know, 
make creating an audience performer relationship. And that's what I want. I want you to feel like, you know, me and that we are here together and we're communicating because we are, I mean, like I am performing for you, but I also get feedback from you. I can see the audience and I can feel the energy. So I, it's, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship that we're all a part of. And how much of it, how much of your delivery is a decision and how much of it is just naturally how, um, you, how you started off on stage? I think now it feels natural, but it, uh, I worked very hard to be chill. <laughs> the, okay. the, the, the chill vibe that you see on stage is from work, <laughs> from years of work. Cause when I started, you know, like every comic, you, you're a little stiff and you're trying to figure out how to, you know perform in this body that is <laughs> that is operating what you're saying um but yeah i'm not sure when but i i was trying to just you know be more loose and feel more in the moment and i think the, the biggest compliment to me is when people think that i made everything up on the spot and that i didn't write anything like part of me is like uh obviously i yeah. wrote this <laughs> can you appreciate yeah. incredibly hard work exactly yeah. give me credit for writing an hour <laughs> but also that's cool that people think like I have such an ease about me that it's that I'm in the moment. That's what I wanted to seem like. Okay. So it's, it's what you wanted to seem like, and it's what you have kind of crafted and trained, crafted it and trained it to be like. Yeah. So does that mean when you started out, you were kind of nervous or yeah. hyperactive or what, what, what did it look like? What were the differences between you now and you on gig one? It wouldn't be nervous. It would just look like I was performing. You could, you could see the work, you know? Okay. So, that element has decreased where I am still working, but it just looks smoother. And why, why is that particularly important to you? Given that of all of the comedians at this festival, you probably have the, the most kind of, I don't, and again, poise, I don't know, it's not casual. Whatever this quality is, I don't quite know how to, yeah. to, how to articulate it. But given that that is a real calling card of your performance, why, why is that? Why was that so important to you? I guess because that's what I like to see out of other performances that I watch. Like when I watch other people perform when they are in the moment or they make discoveries on stage or in the room, it, you feel special. You feel like, Oh, this show is just for me as opposed to like, Oh, they're performing in front of a audience. And they, if you lifted this person and moved, moved them to a different stage, it would feel like the exact same performance. Yes. So I don't want that. I want to feel, I want the people in the room to feel like this is just for them. And what I'm doing is, a creation of what, how I feel right now. Yes. Yes. I, I totally agree with that. I wonder what other things might be part of that as well. Is there a set, is it something to do with status? What do you mean? Like, I think you're incredibly high status as a comic, oh. but not, not in a way that you're looking down at us at all, but you, you look very powerful. Ooh, like that. Oh, you must know, <laughs> but you must know that. Huh? I don't know. Or look at on, on, on Pizza Mind. So the clips I have seen that uh, are available on YouTube and mm. uh, all the rest of it, you are in front of a beautiful, it's a beautiful theatre. Yeah. Like, decisions were made there, right? Totally. It's a beautiful red curtain. You are, I never know how to describe clothes. It's like a gown. It's a jumpsuit. <laughs> you know, but you, like, you look incredibly elegant and elevated, kind of heightened. You look like you could be about to do a cello recital. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And like, those are decisions, right? So, yeah, so, yeah. so talk to me about those decisions. What, is the, what does that mean to you to, to, have that, to have that 
I understand what you're saying about the you want it to be conversational, you want it to not appear like shtick. Mm -hmm. But what else is going on there? Yeah, I guess that is interesting because I do want my vibe to be casual, but I'm very aware this is a show. So when I make decisions of like, I'm going to wear a beautiful blue jumpsuit and we're going to be in a beautiful stage and have a wonderful curtain that like makes my skin look good. These are all things where it's like, I'm thinking about this uh, and also thinking about how people are viewing it. I don't love the like, I just rolled out of bed and came on stage kind of attitude, even though I am trying to create a casual vibe. Yes. So I don't know. I guess I haven't thought about it that much, but I, I do want people to feel like, wow, I got a full show out of there. But I also felt really comfortable, yes. you know, and I yes. feel like I was being talked at. I felt like I was being talked to. Yes, that's definitely true. So you're do you remember what like what bit are you opening with? Is it the same set list every night at the moment? Or has it been um, this week? Uh, yeah, I think I maybe added a couple things throughout the week and rearranged some stuff. But I definitely started the same way every night. So I've seen about 30 comedians this week. So. Please indulge me. Can you remind okay. me what was your what was your opening? Well, my opening bit I, is a new one, like really new. Um, talking about this camping trip that I went on with my boyfriend. Yes, taking psychedelics. Yes, on the, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, my acid trip and listening to the animals and whatnot. And that the camping trip was like two or three weeks ago. So this. Oh, really? Was, yeah. So oh, wow. this, <laughs> this was just truly a new bit that I was like, that's fun. And I did it a few times in New York and I was like, great, I'll just start with that. And, and that for me makes the set feel fresh. Cause I'm like already excited about this new bit. And then, and it kind of rolls into the other stuff I already have. Okay. And the crux of that routine is that you are, uh, you are having a, you know, a profound moment about your place in the universe. Yeah. And then you're aware that you're going to continue having this profound moment for ages while the acid went. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which... I, I was having uh, too long of a revelation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a really, I've never, I've never heard anyone describe that stuff on stage before. You know, that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic, I suppose, because in like, if someone said to me, oh, she's got this really great routine about being on acid. Like that, that does not do it justice at all. But we've mm -hmm. all seen a bunch of like, no, oh, it's always an acid and crazy stuff happen. And it's, it's sort of similar, I suppose, in, in tone to the way that say 10 years ago, women couldn't make jokes about menstruation on stage. Uh -huh. Certainly in the UK. I mean, you could, but you would be pilloried by other women as well as other men. And uh, yeah, yeah, we don't want to hear about that. And, uh, and that has really moved on that you could kind of go, oh no, we can absolutely talk about menstruating now. Yeah. I wonder if there is a, a particular, I wonder if the, the approach is somehow analogous that your bit about taking psychedelic drugs is nothing like the, the stereotype of kind of a... I'd hope so, yeah. We actually kind of just had a thing about uh, women talking about uh, their lady parts and whatnot, like a female comedian, I guess, kind of made... Dis disparaging remarks about other female comics who choose to talk about their vagina all the time. Okay. And quote all the time. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then some other comedians like, uh, Sarah Schaefer created this like fundraiser for Planned Parenthood okay. that also had 50 female comedians talking about their vagina. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I feel like I, I don't think I've seen Sarah Schaefer's act, but I think she's a blogger as well. Did she write something? Uh, she, she's been a, she's a writer. She okay. like used to write for Fallon and had her own show okay, with Nikki gotcha, Glaser. Gotcha. And yeah, she's great. 
Um, but yeah, I thought it was really funny that she and they did this show on the in the West Coast in L.A. and the East Coast in New York, and I did the New York one. Okay. And so it truly really was fifty women talking about their vagina, and just like you know anything about it could be like sex, could be you know periods, like however you view that childbirth. And I was really really impressed with how many different versions of jokes there were and how different styles and like were you in that lineup yeah i was yeah yeah. um i actually told the i don't know if you remember but i had i had a joke about this like when i thought i had an std and yes and and going to planned parenthood and and getting checked out and whatnot and so i told that um but yeah it was so cool to hear like None of these jokes are like a typical vagina joke. It's like, yeah. no, you can actually have because what is many. a typical vagina joke in inverted commas? What that's just any joke. It's just a joke. reference to a vagina that um, probably a man mm-hmm. has listened to and thought, oh, oh, this again. Yeah, and it's like that shouldn't be the reaction. This is a thi- this is a part of us. <laughs> this is a yeah. this is a part of our body that exists, and we shouldn't ignore it. Also, it births people <laughs> like <laughs> you came out of a vagina why are you grossed out about hearing about it um so yeah i'm hoping that that is changing and then yeah same thing with drugs i think it when you hear someone saying like i was on this trip and i understand that when people describe trips if you aren't on that drug as well or if you've never done it before it might be kind of lame to hear it so i was trying to describe it in a way that you could understand it. I think any, any, people can understand being trapped in something for longer than they want. So the yes. idea of like, yeah, absolutely. I was high for four or five hours and I didn't want to be anymore. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just describing how I wanted to like be over it. <laughs> I was so done. And with that, if that actual event happened only two or three weeks ago, what was the first, was that the first time on Monday when you talked about it on stage or had you done some work on that? I had worked on it. Yeah. I, so can you tell us what that work was? I'm sorry. I yeah. interrupted you telling us what that work was. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, I have a monthly show in Brooklyn, uh, called Sashir's made a party time and it's a variety show and I host it. And so at the top, I kind of recount what I'm going through is it's, I just like talk to the audience mostly, but I might sprinkle some established bits in there, but it's kind of a time for me to figure out new stuff. Okay. So in, so that show was, I think the day I got back from that camping trip. So I was, it was already on the brain and I was just talking about it and I record every set. And so I like listened back and tried to figure out which points people were actually laughing at. And, okay. and then, um, had a few more shows after that and tried to like whittle it down to the, the parts that were getting the most laughs and that were, that I thought were the most important. That's which aren't necessarily the same parts because that, I think that's, that's a decision what we all make as comedians is the degree to which we're led by their response and the degree to which we're led by what we want to say. Correct. Yeah. Cause there's some things where it's like, no one's laughing at this, but I think it's essential to the joke for you to understand the rest of it. Or people are laughing at this part, but I'm like, that's actually a lame part. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't really yeah. need that part. And, um, and well done to you for the quality control to throw out a bit that works. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we, we, again, we all have some kind of like, nah, I just I keep doing that bit and I probably shouldn't. I know. Yeah. I like, I, and I've had people be like, Oh, what about this joke that you used to do that? That used to hit hard. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't feel like it re- represents me anymore. Or like, can you give us an example of a bit like that? Yeah. Um, I, I used to talk about sex a lot on stage and just cause I thought it was funny. And, uh, and then after a while I was like, huh, this doesn't feel like it really represents me. I mean, I do have sex, but I, I also was trying to be wary of like how people 
in the audience perceive me. Like, I didn't want them to think, like, wow, she fucks all the time. <laughs> or, <laughs> or even if they did think that, who cares? But I, I didn't want people to leave the show thinking that's all I had to say. When yes. I, and then once I, like, l- I actually gave myself a challenge. And I was like, I'm going to try to write jokes that have nothing to do with sex. And then I opened up a whole new world of other things that I wanted to say. Um, but, yeah, there was, like, a joke about... Um, how many white guys I've slept with and it was like I started telling it like a Def Jam comic (laughs) (laughs) and it would be like I've been with so many white boys that oh what what was it oh okay Uh, and then I think I made the it was a call and response it was this is an old joke so it's it's truly trying to it's coming back to me but it's like um, this is a safe space for you to admit your old joke (laughs) thank you um yeah, I've been with so many white boys, you can open up a cupcake shop down there. <laughs> <laughs> or like a Panera. I just like listed a bunch of white things. Panera Bread, a Hale and Hardy. Uh, um, and then uh, I've been with so many white boys that... Or no, so many white boys have been beating up this pussy that you could call it Rodney King. <laughs> and then people will be like, ugh. And I'm like, we need to talk about this. <laughs> and force people to like <laughs> be okay. okay with it. Um, and was that hard to let go of that bit once you... It was a really decision? good bit. People yeah. loved it. And it's like very performative. Like I was, you know, it was a new energy on stage. But then I wrote other stuff that I loved. So I was like, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I guess as hard as in like that was good, but then I if I tried to do it now, it would feel so fake. Like I try to do old bits where I'm like, I it was good, let me see, but then it's like I'm writing things that are personal to me in that moment. So the like I and I'm evolving, I'm changing as a person. So like this joke that I wrote in 2000 13 doesn't apply to me now because yeah. I've changed and I don't think the same things. So yeah, I, I, I've, there's a lot of jokes that have gone away <laughs> because I, I don't believe in them anymore. Are there any parts of your, well, let's, uh, let me ask you this of your, of your current material, either new or old, but the, the stuff that, you, that you've been doing here in Montreal, what is your, what is the routine that you think is most representative of the comic that you are or the comic that you want to be? Um, probably my closer, which was, um, the resting rape face bit (laughs) (laughs) where I talk about how I hate the term resting bitch face and, uh, and describe why my face is resting because it's just fucking tired (laughs) of being told to smile, of waiting for my turn to speak when I'm in a room full of men and for apologizing for things that I'm not actually sorry for. And that's a thing that women have to deal with all the time, just in general. So it's like, no, there's no question why my face is tired. (laughs) And, uh, and then I counter it to this guy I'm talking to in the joke and saying like, Oh, it's so funny that you say that I have a resting bitch face this whole time. You've had a resting rape face. And, uh, there's, there's actually a clip of this online right now. And, um, the comment section is wild. <laughs> yeah. Just, okay. Just a bunch of dudes being like, oh, men have resting bitch faces too. And this is a bunch of just social justice warrior bullshit. <laughs> and like, yeah. it's so funny where it's like, all I'm doing is saying why I, I think that I have a regular face. <laughs> this makes people mad. This makes men mad. Um, and probably some women too, who don't realize that they don't have to be mad about this stuff. But I, I think that's probably in the direction where I'm going, where it's like, 
I don't know, just giving less fucks <laughs> and, and talking about how proud I am to be who I am. And I am a black person. I'm a woman. I'm a black woman. I live in America. And yeah, I'm just proud of the stuff I got. And I'm tired of people telling me not to be. So the more things I write, the more things that come up are that are like protecting that, I guess. So this is Sashir, uh, really ex- invigorating. To talk. I use the word, I maybe overuse the word invigorating, but it is, you know, that's, uh, it was fun, interesting, entertaining, and really, uh, whatever the other component of invigorating is, um, it, it's very, I came away from this interview thinking, Jesus, I've, I've got to do more, <laughs> I've got to do more, I've got to be more. Um, so uh, more on uh, uh, from Sashir in just a second. Uh, we talk about life coaching. We talk about um, various other uh, aspects of her life, her comedy life and her practice. And uh, we will get back to that in just a second. Uh, those of you who are yet to buy tickets, who live in Belfast and are yet to buy tickets for the uh, upcoming live ComCom with Tim McGarry, uh, you can do so by putting Tim McGarry, Comedians, Comedian Podcast, Belfast Comedy Festival, into the search engine of your choice. I don't have a link in front of me, and even if I did, I mean, you can't really read out links can you slashes and dot coms and so on but um but do come along to see that tim mcgarry is a tremendously fun person to talk to and uh, knows the belfast comedy scene inside out so that will be a really good uh, live one uh, tomorrow i'm recording this on uh, saturday the 16th and tomorrow sunday the 17th uh, by the time you hear this will already have elapsed will uh, elapsed we will already have uh, recorded a live podcast with michael leg as part of the objectively funny comedy festival so i hope lots of you are coming along to that i hope a lot of you will have had come along. Wasn't there a thing in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where Douglas Adams was talking about the new tenses that had to be created uh, to cope with time travel? Something like that. Recording something in the present, uh, referring back to a thing that I hope in the present you will have done in what is now the past I mean, we're all on the same page here. I don't need to bang on about it. Um, thank you to those of you donating to the show. Uh, lots of people are still very kindly donating with their recurring subscriptions. The one-off donations have really tailed off, everybody. <laughs> and that's, that's fine. I know not all of you can afford to support the show. Uh, and I know many of you support the show in other ways. But um, it occurs to me, maybe as a result of the Edinburgh Festival and, and, and so many of you uh, blowing all of your money on uh, travelling to Edinburgh, living in Edinburgh and, uh, and seeing loads of shows up there. So all of those things are excellent uses of your performative dollar. But if you would like to support this podcast, uh, then you can join the patreon.com forward slash comcompod if you're a bleeding edge uh, techno kid uh, or if you have a paypal account you can make a recurring payment uh, of one two five or ten pounds at uh, at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate or you can just drop a nice fat juicy donation right on my head at that same web address um, in a one-off kind of way and if you don't have a paypal account you can support the show via moon clerk whatever that is so uh, thank you to those of you who are uh, continuing to do so and for those of you who are thinking do you know i'd always planned to donate to comcom but i never get around to it i'm never i'm never in my i've never got my wallet when i'm listening i'm always running i'm in the bath i don't have access to the internet well come on these days you can do it all on your phone so uh, <laughs> as someone who's recently converted did i mention this on the first day of the edinburgh festival i converted from iphone to android and not only has that opened up a whole new world of confusingly non 
industry standard podcast apps um but uh, it, it also was uh, really horrific timing when you don't know how to make your notifications work um but you know we, i mean it's it's opened a whole new world of uh, of getting things done or the ability to get things done and more importantly the ability to find more and interesting ways to not get things done uh whilst appearing or convincing uh, yourself that you are doing that so my point is by now as you listen to this, unless you're driving, you can always just take a brief pause and go, do you know what? Why don't I make today the day I get around to supporting the Comedians Comedian podcast? Is that that's fair, isn't it? I mean, I think I've uh, I've shown my hand early there by pointing out that yeah, the donations have dropped off a little. Um, maybe I could have said all of this without needing to point that out. But I think at the end of the day, you know exactly each of you individually knows uh, how much or how little <laughs> maybe some of you treat this podcast as not a weighty thing at all maybe it's a bit of conversational froth just from a slightly different angle to the other available conversational froth and um, but either way if you're enjoying the show then uh, and you're in a position to support the show then you you do that for all the people who enjoy it but are not in that position so thank you very much enough said about that uh, you can email me info at comedianscomedian.com you can tweet me at comcompod as you well know and uh, and you can remember to subscribe uh, to the mailing list because i'm going to drop uh, i'm going to drop that's uh, that's what i say instead of release these days i'm going to drop everyone's on a everyone's a comedian everyone's on a comedian jesus they are some of the scurrilous young comics i've just been chatting to about their experience of the edinburgh festival uh, to be believed everyone is on and under a comedian but uh, everyone is a comedian that will be coming to you soon and remember uh, the t-shirt post sale your last chance to get hold of one of the glorious poly becker designed original thanks man comcom t-shirts uh, that is going to run throughout october so you can go to well it's not october yet so i'm not going to tell you where to go but keep your ears peeled for that um and uh i will chat to you a little more after we return to this conversation with sashia zamar hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> When you say you're tired of people telling you not to be, do you mean you're tired of people telling you not to be that kind of comic or not to talk about those kind of things on stage? Thankfully, no one who matters is telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never had a boss or anyone who wrote wrote my checks out or like a manager representation tell me like, maybe you should try this kind of style because um, that would suck. But 
you know, there's tons of trolls or people in the audience that are like, you should be louder or like run around or like, you know, like if there's a heckler, you should attack them or what, you know, people have like different understanding of what comedy should be. And especially if you're a woman, I've had people come up to me after shows and give me advice. And I'm like, why, why do you, (laughs) Joe Schmo, like you, you have never been on stage before. Why do you think that you have an idea of what I should be doing on stage. I'm the one getting paid for the show. You paid for the show. <laughs> but um, I think some people, mostly men, can't comprehend a woman doing something they can't do or doing it better than them. Yes. So doing something not only that they can't do, but that they're scared of, mm-hmm. that they love to do, but they're scared of. Yeah. So it's like an attempt to kind of re appropriate or kind of to just take some sort of ownership yeah because i i you know occasionally men will almost no women but occasionally men will say that to me but it's very occasional yeah and you do i clearly get a sense that like yeah you you want to be doing this okay mm-hmm. i am of course far less uh the subject of I mean, there's one there's one particular video that is connected with this podcast which i had quarter of a million views and it was to do with uh i never know what it this is interesting i don't know whether i want to talk about it on this episode because it's just going to fucking fire up the whole thing again loads of mras jumped on this thing oh wow and uh but it's the only time i've had to put up with it yeah so i'm talking about privilege having an argument with bill burr about whether or not privilege is a thing oh wow and uh nine minutes of it was clipped and put on this mra website under yeah. the title bill burr destroys male feminist and 250,000 people stopped by to call me a cuck fag and then started to discover my other videos, which none of which, you know, stand up videos. I'm not a political stand up. I don't have much any feminist material. I, yeah. you know, I'll occasionally refer to, you know, I'll try and frame things in, in such a way that I'm not being lazy. I'm trying to be as, as kind of on it as possible. And I will get, oh, suddenly since that happened, now I'm getting a lot of hate. Like, here's a routine about. You know, a sword, and someone's like, "You're yeah. oh, whining, cut fag." And you're like, "Well, you're clearly this is a reference to something else." Now, for me, that's the irony in that is that they're arguing that privilege isn't a thing, and the fact that they're attacking me once only for this thing is like, "No, oh, that's yeah, because I, I am the beneficiary of privilege, mm-hmm. and you don't give a shit the rest of the time because I'm a white man." Yeah, Do you know what I mean, which kind of undermines their theory. But anyway, do you? Ha- how are your? How are your kind of? emotional defenses against that sort of thing given that you're in the territory of uh being i don't know if outspoken is the right word just kind of firm confident and talking about you know your race and your gender to what extent do you cope emotionally with being attacked i'm glad you said not outspoken because sometimes people are like wow you're so like yeah. Brave for like speaking out for women or for for black people or whatever. And I'm like, I'm literally just talking about my personal experiences. I'm not like trying to lead a revolution, but I mean I I will. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I uh and I'm and I'm glad people are learning things and, and hearing a new perspective on things. But yeah, it's like this is all familiar territory to me. It's not me like you know, truly learning things and teaching them to people. It's like, this is normal stuff. Um, I guess it doesn't get spoken enough. That's why it's brave. Um, but for trolls, um, again, they don't pay me, so I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is a refreshingly direct approach. <laughs> Tr- truly. I mean, like, if you, unless it was like 
all my audience who are paying for my shows, if they're upset, then I would reevaluate what I'm doing and being like, oh, I guess I, my fan base is, I, I've disconnected in some way. But if it's like these trolls who just like see two minutes of me on YouTube or like hear me on a interview or something and they don't know anything that I'm talking about or just know me personally or anything, then I, I don't really care. Have you ever cared? Is that is that a skin you've had to grow, or is that just like this? Never yeah, your- I think so. I think I, mean, I don't remember it ever really affecting me. It's just kind of like, oh, people are, will always hate, even if I have the best joke ever. Someone's gonna be like, I can pick apart why that's wrong. I can f- find something and find a reason why it offends this group, or like why it offends me, or you know. She she looks like a whore in this video. You know, like it doesn't matter. They'll find something wrong with it just because I exist and I'm speaking, and I can't get bogged down with that because that's not helping me. That's not that's not giving me any like added like experience or education or it's just it's it's unnecessary. Also, it's like I I personally have never disliked something. And then felt like I needed to type <laughs> type it out. I just like, oh, I just like it. And then I've also never felt like I, if I loved something that I would type it out either. So this is a different mindset that I don't understand. These are people that I don't, we're not on the same wavelength. So if you're the type of person who's like, I dislike this. And then your reaction is to spend time out of your day to tell yeah. somebody about it. Then that's on you. It's, it's, it's almost... The covert nature of it is fascinating because, like, I don't spend any time particularly... Uh, I certainly don't slag anything off online. I spend very little time bigging things up unless I'm, like, particularly blown away by something. And I think that's probably true of a lot of my friends, but you don't know who's doing it because it's all anonymized. And I would love to be able... Or maybe I would... Maybe this would be a terrible idea, but if you were able somehow to... If there was a visual representation, like, if some people walking around were just, like, bright purple, <laughs> and you go, oh, that's because they... You know, then we could at least gauge how many people it is. Yeah, because it's it's one of the frightening things about online abuse is you've no idea what proportion of the public does this represent. Yeah, it's true. But and people also don't think about their actions when they're online. Like if if you are a person who is inclined to say negative things all the time, like um, I've had some people tweet things at me, and you know, depending on my mood, I might like it. They might just like favorite it, like (laughs) (laughs) that's that's beautifully passive aggressive. (laughs) Just like I won't respond. I'll just like I saw it, and then a a few people have been like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't really mean it. You're actually really funny." Or like they'll backtrack because they they thought I would never see this. Okay, they think I'm a brand or a company or like that. Maybe someone else is handling my social media or something. They don't know that I'm scrolling through it every night. And uh, <laughs> every night's quite telling <laughs> <laughs> because I get bored. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I'm not like looking for shit. But if, if some things pop up, I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah, depending on if I want to do do something, I might like it. But um, but yeah, there was like some guy who was tweeting at me a lot and just like stupid stuff. Like it wasn't specific to like you're not funny. Your this joke was bad. It was just like like race stuff or just like whatever the base like like. Um, insult could be and I looked at his account and it was created like a day or two ago and it was and and with a fake picture and I was like oh you are a troll mm-hmm. you you are definitely 
just trying to make people upset. And then he, I looked at his tweets and he was just tweeting all sorts of celebrities saying the same stuff. Mm. And I was like, well, then I don't care Mm. if that's what you get. Like if that's the enjoyment you get out of life, then go for it. (laughs) But to me, it's like, well, then you clearly don't care about me because you're tweeting everybody. (laughs) How long have you been performing? Um, since I was like nine, I've been in gospel choir and my church and then show choir and high school and musicals. Um, and whereabouts are we talking? I don't know where you're from. I'm from Indiana. Okay. Indianapolis, Indiana. And, um, yeah, yeah. I, I was in my church choir and then I auditioned for an improv team in my high school and I made it, but then the rehearsals interfered with my show choir rehearsals. So I quit. But then I, I did improv in college and really loved it. And, uh, and then the touring company for UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, came to my college. I saw them and I was like, I got to go wherever they're from. And then moved to New York. But I, I majored in drama, so I thought I was going to be in Broadway. And like I was okay. auditioning for all these plays. But did you want to be? Or was it that that was the only version of being a performer that you thought was available? I guess that's the option I thought was available. Because I, looking back, I mean, I I love theater and I appreciate the art form, but um, I didn't love that, that grind. That wasn't for me. Like, getting up really early and waiting hours and hours to be seen. And they treat you differently when you have a SAG card and when you don't. So I didn't have a SAG card yet. Okay. Um, your, your union card. Because uh, you have to like audition a certain amount of times and be in a certain amount of plays. And there's like so many rules. And I was like, I just want to get on stage right now. And I would go to UCB and watch shows. And uh, the and you could. I mean, you couldn't get on immediately. But you could like take classes and then have a practice group. And then your group could start a show at a bar somewhere. And then you could just like perform whenever and you'd have to rehearse. I mean, we had practices, but, um, you know, I liked the aspect of how everything was new. Yes. You could just create it. And then that was the only time that show happened. And then the next time you come, it's a totally different show. And how old were you when you were at, when you were at college and you first encountered UCB? Uh, I guess, uh, 21. Okay. Okay, that's interesting that they kind of rolled into town. It's a bit like running away with a circus. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, the moment you said I want to go wherever they're going. I guess that's what happened, yeah. They, they took me. <laughs> so you then went on to work with UCB? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I took um, improv classes and, and then sketch classes. And then shortly after that, started doing open mics for stand-up. And it was just like kept doing all of it at the same time. And were you one of their, like, I, I don't know too much about UCB, but I, I would guess in any group of people who are all hungry to do a thing, are there, there's particular characters, there's particular stars, the people who tend to do the best. Were you one of them or were you? Um, after a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nicely put. <laughs> um, at first, you know, I was like a student, like everybody else, but then. Um, I, I failed my 401 class. Like we, they have improv one one two one three one four oh one. You're supposed to pass your 401. And then, uh, if you pass, you, there's like advanced study and then, uh, and also you need to pass your 401 in order to audition for a house team. Okay. And, and what, uh, what did you fail? I failed 401 and I, I, the notes were like, I mean, <laughs> At the time, I was like, I did not deserve to fail. (laughs) 
Um, and I can't remember what my notes were, but I felt like the teacher maybe was checked out, but it truly doesn't matter. But now I'm thankful that I failed because that made me pause in my curriculum. I, I just stopped taking classes for like a few months, like half a year, really. And then formed my own improv group because I was like, I'm just going to perform. I don't need to take these classes to, to do that. I just, I'm going to find my own group, perform the way I want. Because the notes I would get sometimes would be like, you need to be bigger or, or louder or more crazy. Have crazier characters. But I like being a straight man. Like I like being or a straight person. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, I like wrangling the crazy rather than creating the crazy. And uh, and in my, I had a three person group called Doppelganger, which was me, Nicole Byer, and Keisha Zoller. Three ladies, three black ladies, which was like unheard of at the time. And we kind of took over. We like did, we were killing it. We were doing our own little indie shows. And then they, there was a competition um, where the teams, two teams would, would compete and the audience would vote who would keep going to the next week. And we won a lot and we were beating some of our teachers. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a so really. You can have an honorary 401 pass. Is that there? Yeah, I actually beat my teacher who was teaching my second 401 <laughs> while I was in class. But yeah, it, it, that was, I mean, I guess that's kind of how most things in my life go where I get rejection in something and then I go create my own thing and then it turns out to be better for me anyway. Yes. Why was, why was Doppelganger so successful? I think our chemistry was amazing. Like we all play very differently. Like Nicole's very in the moment and she's kind of like a, a bull in a China shop. She'll just like drop any kind of move and then everyone else has to deal with it. Like I, I think in the future, like, okay, what can, how can we use what's going on later? And then Keisha thinks in the past where she's like, what did we do five moves ago and how okay. can we bring it back? So we, it's really a nice, like, puzzle that we've created where everyone's working on a different thing and it's like I'm so thankful Keisha's there because it's like oh thank gosh you remember that thing that we did 10 minutes ago because I would have forgot and you know thank god Nicole created this crazy move <laughs> so that we could like move, propel the scene and then I'm trying to wrap it up in a bow <laughs> and yeah it's just always so fun and was there what was the the kind of the creative dynamic between you was there a, a was there a sort of a friendly competition or was it all that you were working at that time, definitely working together. And then um, and we got so much attention. And, and the AD at the time, Anthony King, told SNL about us. And because uh, he was like, there are these three funny ladies here and you should look at them. And so a producer came, watched our show, told us to submit. And then that was like, you know, great for all of us, but does create some tension because we're all now competing. Yeah. For this role. For this for one role. Yeah. Yeah. And um And as I understand it, one uh ethnically diverse woman since forever. <laughs> like it was it there was like, mm-hmm. oh this this is the one place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was no A that's problematic in its own way, and also there's no question that they're gonna go, Oh, we'll take two of you or all three of you. Yeah. I mean they could have. <laughs> I wish they did, but they didn't. So me like uh we all auditioned for years, like this was maybe like 2011. I can't really remember, but uh, yeah, we like submitted tapes and, and writing packets, and then there would be showcases where you do your five minutes in front of an audience and in front of the producers and Lauren. And then if they like that, then they bring you into test. And so Nicole tested a year before I did, and they liked her a lot. 
And then but she didn't get it. And then the next year is when they had that push for diversity. And me and Nicole were both doing showcases. And she already lived in L.A. at this time. And, and so she did the L.A. showcase. I did the New York showcase. And then I was the only one who got called. I mean, you know, of my friends <laughs> got called in for a test. And then I got cast. But that, you know, it, it, I would be lying if I was said that that was an easy thing for us, <laughs> for our friendship. Because everyone wants that job. Mm. If you do comedy, I mean, not everyone, but most people do want a chance to do that job. And, uh, we're great now, but it took a lot of personal growth for both of us and a lot of adult conversations for us to be okay with still working together, but understanding we're just now we're doing different things and that's okay. Did you have to let her know that you got it? I did. She was the third person I called. I called my mom, my dad, (laughs) and then her. And, um, yeah. It took her a while to be really happy for me. but And, and through that time, how did you feel? Sh- so shitty. I felt like I couldn't talk to her. I, could, I felt like I couldn't tell her things that were happening in the office or, like, cool things that happened or bad things that happened because it felt like I was bragging because, you know, she wanted this. Yeah. So. And was there one particular, you, you said it was a lot of kind of adult conversations. Was there Was there a particular way of phrasing it or a way of you framing it between you that you kind of went that's it dealt with now i don't know i don't think there was a moment where it's like oh got that (laughs) taken care of like it like i said it was a lot of conversations a lot of drunk in the rain (laughs) conversations (laughs) or late night phone calls um where you know we're talking about how we really feel and this is also not even the first time we encountered this because like when we were younger in the industry, there was there's a show called Girl Code that my Nicole, that Nicole auditioned for, got it, but I didn't even get a chance to audition for it. And so when she told me, my first response was, "Oh well, why didn't I audition for that?" Instead of congratulations. So it's like we both do it to each other, and this will continue to happen probably for the rest of our careers because we are two funny black women, and until we get to a point where we all get so many chances and there's not just like a, a certain number for us then we will compete with each other I did an interview recently with a, a British comic and improviser called Pepper Evans where she told a similar story about the nature of dealing with professional jealousy between female friends and it struck me then as it strikes me more deeply now that I've never heard a man tell a version of that story I've never heard a guy go so me and my friend we were at risk of falling out so we really talked about it and had some yeah. mature conversations. I mean, the idea is sort of risible. What I know. a shame. I know. Because it's like, yeah, you'll probably just find another opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, for women, and I think also, especially women of color, we're like very aware that there's probably only so many chances for us. So it's like, well, if you got that, they're not looking for another one. <laughs> Which is so silly. But I do think it's changing and it's getting better. I think shows and and producers and um studios are seeing that people want to see more voices and more just options and uh so hopefully it'll get better but you know right now (laughs) i was saying before having not really been an expert on snl and only getting into it recently probably in the uk a lot of people that you know a lot of uh, comedy super fans in the uk a lot of comedians have been into snl it's not something that had been on my radar um and uh, as i sort of 
it's not something that had been on my radar as much as I feel it should. I feel like, oh, God, where do I start? You know, there's so much. There's, there's so, so much. much, yeah. Um, but one of the things, obviously, that it has really hit off is all the Trump, you know, Baldwin doing Trump. And via that, I then, in, only, in, only in researching you uh, yesterday, did I go, oh, you were Keely on Black Jeopardy. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay, well, <laughs> that I saw, you know, because I, I got into trouble and I just ended up watching loads and loads and loads of Black Jeopardy. Which yeah, that's a fantastic. great sketch, right? So, did you, I, in my kind of very uh, naive understanding of how the show works, were you writing on Black Jeopardy? No. Um, Brian Tucker and Michael Che wrote those Black Jeopardy sketches. Okay. And then the performers can pitch lines if they want. So there's probably a couple jokes that I pitched, but no, I didn't okay. I didn't really help write the sketch. Okay. Okay. And how does that feel? What what are the as a as a writer performer yourself, how do you cope with cope sort of suggest I don't I don't mean to suggest there's anything negative about it, but obviously if you are pitching an idea for a joke and they go, No, you're fine. Just say our words. How's yeah. that? Is it frustrating or is it just, are you kind of going, I'm so pleased to be here? It can be frustrating, but you know, after I was there four years. So part of me was like used to it. It was like, Oh, whatever. Like all your good ideas go in the trash at the end of the week. <laughs> even, yeah. even if it went on air, it's like now we're done. And then we have to reset and then start over again. So there's, it really taught me how to kill your dar- darlings and not be too attached to an idea. Cause it could be we, we could have a good idea up until the show starts, up until the sketch, and then for some reason we're running out of time, and then we have to cut lines, and then it's like whatever. For the good of the show, we have to uh, pare things down and then change things, and you know maybe like legal says that we can't say this thing now or whatever, or this advertiser for some reason doesn't like this topic. If there's so many things that go into that show that I don't even know about that dictate how we execute what we do. So yeah, at, by the end I was like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. That idea of the good of the, for the good of the show, presumably the, the good of the show doesn't like someone's idea, like the, the, the steering hand of the show, their idea of the good of the show doesn't necessarily tally with your idea of what's best for the show. Yeah, that can happen. And that's, there's nothing, I'm not the boss, so there's nothing I yeah. can really do about that. Yeah, yeah. Go and make your own show. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Also, um, not everyone came knowing each other. Like, this is kind of a smattering of people who have different writing styles, have different performing styles, and we're just told to, like, make it work. And that works mo- all the time. But also, it's like, you know, it'd be easier if it's like you and your buddies <laughs> yeah. getting together. And- yeah. I, one, I suppose one of the most valuable qualities as an SNL staffer, is that the right word? Team member? Yeah. Cast member? Yeah, writer. cast member and then writers. One of the most valuable qualities must be the flexibility to be able to work with other people's sense of humor and other people's working style. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like I came away with a better understanding of how to communicate my ideas to people who may not understand them right off the bat. And then also collaborating with different people who have different styles and humor. And yeah, I learned a shit ton and it was so valuable. That's stuff you can't pay for because you're just getting thrown in there and they're like, make something. (laughs) And, uh, and you have to, because we only have five more days until the show. (laughs) Can you give us an example of uh, like one of the lessons that you took away from that? Hmm. Nothing specifically I want to say. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, that's fine. (laughs) Or or maybe a a preconception you had going in that was disproved. 
I guess I, I don't know if this was a preconception, but I, I was surprised to see like how, how, like what writing night is. We write everything in one night uh, on Tuesday and you kind of just find your tribe. You kind of just find people who you jive with and, and then, and then write together. But it's not like an open room where we're pitching ideas to get together and like saying like, okay, you write that, you write that. There's no real like communication throughout the whole floor. It's just like kind of a lot of closed doors and people being like, okay, well I'm writing this with this person and then I'm writing this with this person. And then you have to like find those people. So, and I started mid season, so I had no idea who my people were. (laughs) So it's a lot less like the kind of uh, big table in 30 rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very much individual offices. And then when you get to the... I remember I, I spoke to Hannibal Barres on the show and he was talking about putting the script up on an OHP and beating the jokes. Yeah. Yeah, you have to, like... Um, that happens throughout, to like, throughout the whole week. People will, like, give punch-ups and then there's, like, they're re- you're rewriting the sketches mm. and then punching up the jokes. Because it might be funny during a read-through, but we can make it funnier. What lessons stick in your mind as things that you managed to take with you into your stand-up? Like, presume, I mean, did you would you have time to be doing stand-up whilst you were doing that? Or did yeah, just- I did do stand-up while I was doing it, um, which was I I was so happy to do that because, <laughs> like, if I had a bad week, I could go on stage and just like agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, like or, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, or even if I had a good week, but it was just nice to be able to go on stage and and just say whatever I wanted and have an immediate reaction from the audience instead of creating something. Maybe no one read it or maybe we did read it. We didn't pick it. And then I'm just like, you know, kind of waiting around for the rest of the week. But um, I'm trying to think of a lesson. I don't know. I guess I just learned like how to stand up for what I wanted or like, like the things that were important to me. And I didn't always win, <laughs> but I at least left feeling super confident in knowing what I want, where I think when I showed up, I was just happy to be there. And I was like, I'm ready to go. I'll do whatever, whatever you say. And I was trying to like fit into the mold of the show. And then by the time I left, I was like, no, I know my mold. I know what I like and what I want. And I don't think that I have to try to plug myself into this thing Um if that's doesn't if that doesn't feel right. So did you how does it work when you're leaving the show? Do you did you decide to leave to focus on your stand up? I decided to leave, yeah. And to focus on whatever I want. But yeah, yeah. stand up, acting, writing. Sorry, my preoccupation <laughs> is always stand up and I think see you just totally, like, yeah, yeah. a lot of other uh, strings to your boat. But um so was that a hard decision to make or were you ready to go? I was ready to go. But that doesn't mean that wasn't a hard decision. It's like breaking up with somebody, you know, like you might feel like I, this needs to end, but that doesn't mean the love's gone. still love that show. I'll still watch that show. But I, you know, thought about it for a long time and had many, many conversations with the people who work there about it and decided it was time to go. And then how soon was it like when you walked out the door, like the last time you left? What was the what was the, like the very next thing that you did creatively? Was that your own stand up, or was it was it like to take a break from it all? Or I think maybe I didn't get on stage for a week or something, and then getting on stage after that was weird because I was like, do I talk about it? Do I like? Yeah. Do does everyone know? It's it's so 
hard to know what people know about the show or what they don't know because it feels like sometimes everyone's talking about what's going on with SNL and then sometimes I talk to people and they're like oh I don't really watch it or yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know I don't pay attention much and yeah. which is great it's like talking to family members almost you go oh you know name of huge comic said this or don't and they're like I've never heard of them and you're like Oh, yeah, it's sort of only really massively important in my head. Yeah, totally, which is nice. <laughs> yes, yes. So you, how long have we talking? When, when about did you leave? Um, the finale, I think, was May 20th, and that was the last time. May I, just gone? Yeah, yeah. This is a huge hole in my research. I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Oh, it's okay. just, I, 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 I read about it, I didn't, wasn't following the dates. And when was Pizza Mind released? March 30th. So within okay. the oh, so season. that was released before. Mm-hmm. I understand. Okay. Yeah. And as a boring technical question, tell me about the decision to put the special on CISO, because that's not something that I'd heard of before, that yeah. platform. Is that a well-known platform? Are you like a kind of spearhead for their... Kind of, yeah. It's, it's new. So um, it's owned by NBC Universal, so it's okay. kind of in the NBC family. And um, they were just really excited about me and, and what I had going on. And they were also like, let me be in control of a lot of stuff. They okay. they let me, you know, creatively have a lot of input in what was going on. So I I felt like that was really important for for me. And I don't know if that would have happened somewhere else because that was my first special. So I, I, being somewhere else, they may be like, oh, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, or that's cute, but we don't want to do that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, CISO was very hands-off, and they're like, we support you, we want you to do well, we want it to be good, and, and in your voice. So. And that seems like a good fit for the sort of performer you are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what's next? What's next? Um, more stand-up and TV and movie stuff. I booked two movies. I'm going to shoot them in August, September. Which Can you is, tell us what the movies are? One is a indie drama called Ghetto Plainsman, and... Uh, it's about a gay man in the 80s, 90s who's trying to, like, find himself. And I'm his best friend who's an actress in New York. So, you know, real stretch for me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm in a, a, an Amy Schumer comedy. And, yeah, and I'm still in talks of other projects, too. So Okay. Yeah. And are you feeling, uh, I mean, it's like, you, are you feeling kind of world at your feet at the moment? Um, a little bit, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, people are really excited for me and excited that I'm available and that I can do more of my own work and I'm excited to give it to them. <laughs> so what are, to wrap up then, what are some of the, like, I, I feel like you're incredibly confident, intelligent, skilled. Do you know what I mean? You're just like, yep, I've got this. Are there any chinks in your armor? Oh, well, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can't think of it off the top of my head because I'm so <laughs> I'm so confident, strong, and intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, are you? I'm interested in. I suppose if I were listening to this interview, like you know, sort of separate to it, I would. I kind of go. I think. I think. I'm really pleased for you. This is all very well. How do I get to be more like this? Or what? What? What kind of? What sorts of? Either how can I be more like this? Or what sort like let me know that you struggle as well oh sure fine I'll let you know that I struggle <laughs> if I must um I guess I just got okay with rejection I got a lot of no's before I started getting yeses I'm still getting no's 
and I probably will continue to get no's um, as I keep going in my career. So just realizing that the no's don't mean that I'm bad. It just means that wasn't a good fit. And I just got to keep going and finding where I fit in and where I feel most comfortable and where my voice can flourish the most. And then it will, and then it will be great. And I, I guess I'm so now I'm so confident in what I have to say and what I want that, that when someone doesn't want what I got, I'm like, that's their loss where before it would have been like, Oh, they don't want me. Okay. That means I need to change. Or like, that means that I should probably be better at X, Y, and Z. And if I don't care about X, Y, and Z, why am I trying to get better at that? So I need to just focus on like what actually makes me happy and makes me feel fulfilled artistically. And if someone gets it, then I'll keep them, you know, I'll keep that working relationship. If they don't, then it doesn't matter to me. You don't need to be here. And is that, is that approach learned and if it is learnt, is it purely learnt from the choices you've made in your career and how people have treated you? Or are you like, that seems like such good software, like mental software. Um, is it, are you like, a, have you read self-help books about it? Have you been <laughs> on a personal development course? You have. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I'm so into like personal development and learning about yourself and self-care and stuff. The Artist Way helped me a lot by Julia, Julia Cameron. Um, it's like a 12 week workbook where you, you take yourself on artist dates, you journal, you just try to figure out your, your goals and then like have a, you have a better way to approach it afterwards. And I also have a life coach and Uh I, I took her, she has a class that was kind of like time management for artists that I took like in 2000, I don't know, 12 or something. And I remember at the end of the class, I was crying because I didn't want it to end. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought it was so helpful. And we, because we really, uh, we thought about our goals for the next year. So it was like, um, you know, July 29th of 2018, I want to have um, written and produced a movie. I want to have toured to these different countries I've never been to. I want to have booked these commercials or whatever the things are. And then you work backwards and you go, okay, so if I have to do that nine months from now, I, these things need to happen. And then six months from now, these things need to happen. You just work backwards even to the week. And it seems so simple, but it's like, you won't do it. (laughs) You need someone to tell you to do it. So having that structure and having someone check me on it every week was really helpful for me. And then we stopped and I was like, well, fuck, I'm never going (laughs) to do this again. But then I did, and I had SNL in my, in my goal list. Um, and after, but there's also like things you can't control. (laughs) So it's like my, the thing I could control was like, I would like to have done well at this showcase for audition for, for SNL. And, um, hopefully they call me in kind of thing. And yeah, I looked at my, my notebook like a year later and I was like, Oh, I did, I did do all the goals. (laughs) So it it did stick. And, and now that teacher is my life coach and we do, we have a one-on-one Skype session every month to kind of reassess what's going on in my life. And like, now what goals do I have and how do I approach it this way? And, and it's, and it's really like, I I like it a lot. I think it's really helpful. She doesn't like shame me if I don't like, Oh, you didn't finish this outline. So that's bad. It's like, okay, you didn't. Why didn't, why didn't you? Maybe you don't think it's important right now. Maybe we should put that on the back burner and think of something else. And like, yeah, it's just thinking about 
just analyzing how you're already thinking and just following those paths. It's like, okay, maybe I'm actually leaning more to this, I don't know, podcast idea or like this, this variety show idea. Maybe because I keep going that direction. So maybe I should follow that and see where it goes. That is such a great answer. I really am like <laughs> me and everyone listening to this is like, well, who is this lady? Can we get in touch? Her you're, name is Betsy Capes. You can like, well, you're hit her up. <laughs> you're a walking advert for her. For, and for that, that sort of system, that's really, that's really um, inspiring to hear someone kind of taking the reins in that manner because I think it's easy, certainly in the UK, to kind of the idea of self-help, you know, either self-help books or mm-hmm. what have you is... Um, you know, it's probably we probably feel similar about it that we do to therapy, which is that people who are into it are like, "This is really great," mm-hmm. but there's there's not kind of any shining examples, yeah, of oh, this is this is great and this is how it should work. Yeah, I recommend um, therapy too. That really, even though I mean, I don't know if you remember the joke about how my therapist was crazy, but <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, of course, of course, <laughs> she was a lunatic, but I did still feel like I got a lot out of therapy, and I mean, as a creator. All I'm doing is talking about myself <laughs> and and how I relate to things in the world. And the more I know about myself, the better. So I, I would also recommend that people learn about yourself. What do you like? What do you not like? What do you what are you striving for? What made you who you are today? What are the things in the past that you're trying to run away from? What are the skeletons in your closet you don't want to address anymore? Let's address them. Let's, you know, put that out there because maybe someone else can relate to that. Um, yeah, there's like so many ways that therapy opened up new doors in my mind where I was like, oh, I should probably be talking about this because it matters to me or it scares me and I need to get it out in some way. So yeah, all that stuff is good. Just like exploring more things in your mind is only beneficial to your work so that was Sashir thank you very much to her and indeed her people for uh, for helping sort that out um, thanks to everyone as ever at the Just for Last Comedy Festival in Montreal who are so kind to me and uh, give me access to such exciting guests as Sashir and more besides uh, coming up in the can where's my little list of who's in the can currently in the can we've got some very exciting people here um, no that's the hit list I'm not reading that one out that's the Charlie Big Potatoes hit list uh, coming up K. Trevor Wilson in no particular order this is Sean Patton so brilliant uh, Julio Torres you are going to love you are going to lo- talk about willpower in this Sashir episode you are going to love hearing me ask Julio Torres does he ever worry about it not working and you will hear him look me right in the eye and say no <laughs> it's a glorious episode um, I can't wait to, to drop that one on you and Sarah Kendall brilliant Joe Caulfield brilliant Zoe Coombs-Mars Reg Hunter Joe DeRosa and Edmonds brilliant 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 all of those coming soon um, I think next week I don't yeah maybe we'll we'll be in a position to record the, to release the Michael Leg one so we'll take a brief bump from the uh, the uh, a bump out as they say, instead of a get-out in Australia. Aren't they weird with their ways? Um, we will take a brief break from the, the Just for Laughs uh, episodes to bring you Michael Legg, and then I think we're going to go for uh, for Reginald D. Hunter. That is a true blue bastard of an episode, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I will chat to you in just a moment on the subject of willpower, if you would care to stick around for the postamble. But uh, if not, then I will speak to you next week. Bye for now. It's quite a long gap there between next week and bye for now. Just keeping on your toes. Bye for now. So, so, willpower. Oh, so listen, 
I've always had a problem with willpower. Can anyone say that they haven't? Can anyone truly say that, oh, no, I just think of a thing and then do it? I think I probably made life a lot harder for myself than I needed to by assuming that I had some sort of ability to go, I'll think a thing and then do it, and then being really angry with myself when I didn't do that because I am only human. I think, you know, it's one of those things where I don't know why I thought this. If I just read far too many superhero comics or, you know, just interesting mythic stories, Neil Gaiman stuff, you know, all that kind of... I was just absolutely obsessed with mythic archetypal stories fairy stories fairy tales being used and kind of retold and you know mythology and all those kind of things huge fan of all that stuff probably as a teenager spent far too much time assuming that i was the hero slash main character i'll talk about this a little bit in uh, the lost show prick but uh, as we've as we've discussed i will never see the light of day but um uh, I, I wonder if I wonder if that's the reason, or if there's another reason why I just I probably made myself pretty unhappy by assuming an ability to get shit done that I turned out not to have. I mean, I do get things done. I've talked a little bit on the show before about whether or not I'm a workaholic, or whether or not you're a workaholic. I certainly don't feel like one, but then they don't, do they? That's the whole reason they drive themselves. I did meet with a life coach once. Have I told you about this? I met with a life coach. I had a little sort of opening introductory chat in a coffee shop years ago with a a life coach. And it seemed to me that it was someone who would say, you should, uh, so tell me what you want to do. You should do that then. Now, obviously, there's more to it than that. But it did seem a little bit like if the the problem I have is with willpower, that's not, I don't think I need a life coach. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of the things I want to do. But what I need is someone who can teach me if it's a learnable skill, if it's a learnable technique. I need someone who can teach me to... Um, to actually follow through on things, to actually get out of bed in the morning and do things when no one else is there. When someone else is there, when there's a deadline to work towards, when there's stuff that needs to be done, I get it done. But this is the life of the uh, the uh, travelling troubadour. You know, you often there isn't someone there saying, get this done. I've got much better at doing the washing up since becoming a parent. Have you experienced that since you became a parent, if indeed you did? Um, I, I just, I never wanted to be someone that did the washing up before going to bed. I was like, no, leave it. Do it in the morning when you can hate yourself, you know. Um, but since parenthood, it's just got to be done. The only gift you can give yourself in those early mornings is the fact that you did the washing up last night. So I started doing that. So that suggests that self-discipline is learnable, given the right stakes. So is it something that someone can teach you? Is that job, is a, a self-disciplined teacher, is that the same as a life coach? I don't think it is. But I just need, when someone's in the room, you know how you're a completely different person if someone's there, are you? Is that just me? You're yourself in the context of other people, and you're like, yep, this is me, this is who I am. And then as soon as you're on your own, you sort of fall apart a bit and go, oh, I'm not going to do that now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to procrastinate and prevaricate and make myself unhappy so that I can be unhappy with myself. The amount of times I've gone to bed absolutely confident that tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and go for a run, and then not done that, and notably a few years ago wrote some really cracking material about how I hate people that go for runs and sort of (laughs) slapped my hands together in that job done way and thought, well, that's that resolved. I went for a run yesterday morning and gave up after seven minutes. I can tell you, dear listener, because I know you won't judge me. 
seven minutes. I, I think I'm ill. Okay, I should say I have uh, uh, allergy-related asthma. It took me years to work out the precise nature of that, but it, I have allergy-related asthma. I also get chest infections. I tend to overwinter. God, is it winter yet? It almost is, isn't it? Um, but uh, and so I need an inhaler. I forgot to. Ta- I need an inhaler under certain circumstances, so I always forget to have it with me. I forget to take it. So I tried. Finally, I beat myself up for the the requisite six months. I'm like, right, I'm going to do it Took this morning. I make myself run, and I ran for seven minutes, and I stopped because I was so short of breath because I hadn't had a go on the inhaler. So I'm hoping that I'm just particularly ill or particularly allergic because I know I'm unfit, but I can't possibly be seven minutes unfit. I can't be. But I do have this little voice in the back of my head going, well, you never do any regular exercise, so maybe I can't be. Seven minutes? What do I do? What do I do? Have I really, have I got to? Have I got to? In the words of Rob Deering, his lovely song about running that you can find on his YouTube channel, I'm a father in my 40s and that's what we fucking do. I'm not admitting to any age there. I'm just saying I'm a... Fu- oh, delete that, Daryl. No, leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> I've accidentally confessed to my age. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. That was the big birthday. I mean, you guessed as much, right? You guessed as much. But I'm... Look, oh, I, clearly, I mean, that's that's something about ageing. I didn't really share with you the fact that I'd turned 40, and it looks like I am now. Um... And uh, I used to have a lovely joke about this, which occasionally sneaks into an Edinburgh show and doesn't ever make it into the final version of it, which is simply that uh, people tell me I look young and that's nice, but I'm not. I'm still going to die at the same time. That raw chicken may look fresh. It isn't. So, um, so my point is, do I really have to do that? Have I got to start running? Have I got to start running, running? Have I got to, given the lack of routine in my life that is always taken the one the one way i think that make people make themselves exercises you get into a routine the life of the comic has no routine and uh i've just got to i've got to do something because i don't want to die i want to stay alive for the boy for the wife for you for me i want to stay alive um so i've got to do something i've got to make I, it's been 10 years of going now nah, i'll get round to it do I really have to book myself into some sort of fucking marathon or some sort of fucking 5K or something? I hate it. I think I hate it. In my in my pathetic defence, I think I hate it because I probably had allergy-related asthma at school, but it wasn't diagnosed, so I associated the concept of running with having an incredibly painful, wheezing chest. And I never went... Uh, I think I might be, I might be different. I think this, I, I just assumed, and this, this is how I dealt with my entire childhood and teenage years and some of my current life. I just assumed that everyone was experiencing the same thing, but they were, I, I was just doing it wrong or badly. So it was my fault. So I just never told anyone. So I think I grew to associate exercise with pain and fear. But okay, fine. Maybe I did. Maybe that was the, maybe that was, that was the association I made. The point is the same. I can't. Keep. So what am I going to do? Die aged 52? Having just said, well, you know, it's reasonable, right? Because I made certain, you know, I learned, a, I learned my life a certain way when I was a kid. So I guess I'm going to die. I don't want that. Obviously, I don't want that. But I, is there, what else is there? What else can I do? How can I get... I started doing uh, a martial art. I won't go into details on it because uh, I, uh, I didn't commit to it hard enough that I feel I can claim it. I started doing a martial art because it was so much fun because it distracted me from the exercise, the very vigorous physical exercise I was doing, 
obviously I had a horrible moment, maybe not obviously, but I, I had one or two horrible moments in different classes of looking around and going, am I the old one here? <laughs> Fortunately, there tended to be at least one person older than me. Like, going, all right, there, easy there, old timer, while I'm nearly blacking out on the sidelines. But even that, I couldn't keep it up. I kept getting injured and I couldn't stick to it in a regular kind of way. It just it ended up making me unhappy and frustrated. Have I got to start doing that again? I'd like to, but it's just the bloody regularity of it. Why can't someone do a regular class with a load of people at noon on a Monday? <laughs> Can we do noon on a Monday at my house or near my house? Can we all do that? This is a pathetic rambler. I'm, I haven't post-ambled at you properly for some time, and I'm sorry that this one has been so pathetic. But I do worry about it. I'm a bit knocked by my seven-minute run yesterday. I, I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure I'm not seven minutes unfit. I'm unfit, but I'm sure I'm sure it's a, a, an inhaler issue, which I can easily test by doing it again. We're going trying for a run tomorrow, having taken some inhaler, having taken some puffs on the inhaler, and then uh, report back to you about how many minutes I lasted. Maybe that's the way. Maybe I need to, in that awful way that I specifically mocked in a, a routine a few years ago, uh, which I believe you can hear in the show, an hour, currently available in all the places you buy things. Um... I specifically mocked people telling everyone about their exercise and maybe I need to do exactly that. Maybe that's why the poor bastards did it in the first place. And I totally unfairly rounded on them because uh, uh, actually they were just doing what they needed to do in order to keep going. So you've got to tell people, you've got to commit to it so that it's like a deadline. So maybe I have to start telling you about how long I can run for. God, no, I will not. I'll start a separate Twitter account. Um, Podface, I'll see if I'll see if at Podface Death Run is available, and um, and start uh, and start trying to um, commit to something. Oh God, maybe I can just get fit by not exercising. That's got to be possible. It's got to be. Bye for now. Oh God. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.